known stories, I think, ever written. Probably most, one of the most famous uh, stories in the world. And uh, what we need to do this morning is ask God to help us see this story afresh and how it applies in the lives of everyone here this morning. And as we pray, I'm using the words of the song that we're going to have at the end of the talk. Let's just bow our heads in a prayer. God, we look to you. We won't be overwhelmed. Give us vision to see things like you do. God, we look to you. You're where our help comes from. Give us wisdom. You know just what to do. We will love you, Lord, our strength. We will love you, Lord, our shield. We will love you, Lord, our rock. Forever, all our days, we will love you, God. Amen. Now, I don't remember meeting my, um, I think she was my great-auntie, um, Emmy, but she was a real character. She was, uh, I think, stone deaf, a bit like my father was virtually um, stone deaf as well. It appears he went to visit her. There were two separate conversations going on. My mum used to say it was really amazing. He'd be talking about one thing and she'd give a reply on something totally different and thought it was uh, they were, thought they were sort of talking to each other. But two totally different conversations because they were just so deaf, both of them. That's what she was like. And uh, but then they would start letters. The only thing, I can't remember meeting her, I say the only thing I do remember is seeing her letters that she used to write to us. And they were quite amazing. They were a bit like works of art. Um, they would start quite normally. Off you go, they were writing away. And then she'd get excited. The size of her writing would increase. She'd start using different coloured pens. And then whole sections would be written in, in capital letters. And she didn't like to waste anything. So when she got to the bottom of the page, she'd go round the sides, cross the top, and then along the bottom again, squeeze everything in. So it was all on one page. It looked absolutely amazing. Well, I've got one example of what it might have looked like. I've only done it off on the computer. But if you want to see one, take one, that tells you the story of David Goliath in the AEV. Well-known version of the Bible, the AEV. Get hold of it afterwards. It's the Auntie Emmy version, in case you didn't know. All right, so one page. But I think it would be great to see a Bible written like that. I've got a red-letter Bible that Jen and myself use at home, which is great. All the words of Jesus in red. But wouldn't it be fantastic if just some of those key verses sort of stood out in the Bible? We had them highlighted. Bang, there they are. Well, that's what we've got. To get our Bibles ready, we're going to highlight them this morning. So you all have a Bible um, somewhere near you. And uh, what we're going to be looking at is this uh, story of David and Goliath, but only a few verses and one or two little phrases from it. All right? Because there's 58 verses in it, 1 Samuel 17. And if I spend a couple of minutes on each verse, we'll still be here till well into lunchtime. So won't do that. Okay, don't worry. All right. Um, Amazing story, the classic battle against uh, large and small, against good and evil, and uh, we've only got, I say, time to look at it, but read it when you get home, the whole of it. Okay, so I've noticed six points that I found. You'll probably find lots more, but these six points, I, I think, begin to, uh, to stand out. So the first uh, one I'd take is the one that we've had already, which you all know well by now, uh, talks about... <laughs> Man looks on the outward appearance. Right, God looks on the inside. Well, there it is in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. If you turn to page, uh, let's get the page number right, I think it's 287. 287, because really the story 
the background to the story starts in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The story of David and Goliath is the whole of chapter 17, but you've got to know this understanding of the background first. So really, this is absolutely key to, to the whole story. So verse 7, let's read it together. What does it say? 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Absolutely key. Underline, red letter, bold, all right, everything you can do to make it stand out. That is a lovely, lovely verse from the Bible. I think Tim's already got it marked. I don't know. But yes, he has, all right. And those of you who mark your Bible will make notes. Get into the habit. Come with your own Bible so you can do that. Make it stand out. This is important. This is what really our faith is based on. It's not based on some way ideas. It's based on the Word of God. That's what we believe as Christians. This is God's Word. So what did the Lord see when he looked at the heart of David? He saw a man whose heart was right with God. That's the reason he'd been chosen. So here we go on. Second key, verses 13 and 14, and we're still in chapter 16. I don't know whether Tim's already got it marked, but here we go. It says, so Samuel took the horn, this is verses 13 and 14, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah, and then the next verse, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. How sad. What a shift in the story. Saul's reign as king will not last. He had disobeyed the Lord's commands. You've got to go back and look back earlier in the chapter, I think, in the book of Samuel, I think it's chapter 13. But he had disobeyed the Lord's command, and so the Lord had chosen David to take his place. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Underline, red ink, pen, or bowl, and everything you can to make it stand out. There it is, another Auntie Emmy verse for you. Key thing. You know, in the, in the New Testament, we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the early church, but sometimes we forget that the Spirit of God has been there right from the very beginning. I think it comes in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord was moving upon the waters. It's right there from the beginning. This is key teaching for us. There it is. And David has been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be given the power of the Holy Spirit as individuals or as a church. That is it. That's the whole group of the people which happened at uh, Pentecost when it was given to the whole church. David was given the power of the Holy Spirit. No wonder Goliath did not stand a chance because the giant in the story is not Goliath, it's actually David because he's there with the Lord's power. And then the third key. Now we're on to chapter 17, really. This is what you wanted, isn't it? And uh, I'll read a few verses from that. Chapter 17, and look at verse 8. We'll read verses 8 to 11. You know the story. Goliath goes out and he starts shouting out defiance. He's got the two armies assembled. There they are. And then these verses we get, it says, uh, verse 8, 
Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? I don't like Philistine, never mind. And now you're not the servants of Saul. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight against each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In verse 16, for 40 days this went on, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. There he was, shouting it out, for 40 days running. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Yet earlier in the passage, Saul we'd read, was a head and shoulders taller than any other Israelite. He was a massive man as well. Yet he was a coward. He, Saul was the one who should have fought against Goliath. He shouldn't have been choosing some other man. He was meant to be a, a great man of God and everything else. And there he is as a coward. It shows cowardice. Again, you go back in the story, it's chapter 15 and verse 24. It says, I was afraid of the men and I gave in to them. He was afraid. He was scared stiff himself, so he was expecting somebody else to go and fight his battle for him. What a coward. But just a little aside, what a lovely way to decide a battle. Instead of having the Battle of Waterloo with all that going on, imagine if it just been, uh, who was it, Napoleon and Wellington. Just have the two of them fight it out. Save all the bloodshed of everybody else. That would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great today? Sometimes we look back and we think, what a heathen lot they were. But sometimes they got things, I think, better than we do today. Rather than everything that's going on at Mosul and Aleppo and so on. Wouldn't it be great if we just lined up some of the leaders and said, okay, let them have a bite, have a fight together. But no, we go. Sorry, that's only an aside. Um, but let's go on. So fourth key to the reading. Let's have a look at this uh, whole story. And we'll go on to chapter 1 Samuel 17 and verse um, 17 and 18. Here we go. Now Jesse said to his son David, here we are, David's coming into the story. Take this ephah of roasted grain and these two ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Okay, so off he goes. In verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down here to watch the battle. That's all you've come for. Totally untrue. The accusations are being made. Eliab, the eldest brother, is the one who's talking. He's the one who thought he was going to be the next king when they were all lined up and one after the other. He was the oldest. Surely he was going to be the one God would choose. He got jealousy. All right. Instead, his youngest brother had got no special qualifications, nothing about him really. He was just a little shepherd boy out in the field. He was the one God chose. So look at the accusations. How conceited you are. How untrue David was a simple, humble shepherd boy. How wicked your heart is. How untrue. It's absolutely the opposite. Because it's already said David's heart was right with God. And it says, 
you only came down to watch the battle. And again, how untrue. David was there because his father sent him with food for his brothers and to check they were okay. Now, as Christians today, we can expect all manner of false accusations to be held against us. If we're going to live out our Christian faith, we will get people who will challenge us, who will make out all sorts of reasons. You know, Christians are hypocrites and so on. We'll get that sort of accusation. And what do we do? We get on with the work that God has given us to do and we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. That's got to be our reaction. Love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. And then the fifth key is in verses 32 to 37, the first part of verse 37. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go and fight against this Philistine. You're only a boy and he's given a fighting, he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me. Red pen, bold, underline, whatever, make it stand out. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me. You know, people accuse Christians of having blind faith. They say, you, you just trust in sort of anything almost. That's what they sort of accuse you of. Blind faith. I don't think we do. I think David's faith was not blind. David's faith was based on sight. He had already seen how the Lord had delivered him from a lion and a bear. He could look back on past experience and say, yes, things were tough, but the Lord saw me through that tough time. That's what we can do. We can go back and say, yes, the Lord has helped me. A leader in this church, I've seen uh, the way that God has provided for our needs to be met. Uh, about 25 years ago, we had all this reordering done in the church, and we really believed that this was a vision from God, it was right to do. been praying for it for many, many years. And it was going to cost about, I can't remember, 150000 I think, something like that, more than that. And we believe that this was right and God would provide. And God did provide. And virtually all the money came from the congregation. Now that was what we could then use. We could build on that. That is what God's done in the past. When we came to do the new church centre, it looked an enormous, impossible thing. I remember going there having to ask the diocese if we could have a loan We've got 300,000, I think, in the bank. We're trying to do a building project of 1.4 million. How can you, the bank manager, one of the chap, retired bank managers on the, on the team giving me a right grilling for two hours, he said, how can you possibly go ahead? You know, because you've only got 300,000. And I, I, I said, well, the church really believes this is God's will. This is what he's given us as a vision. This is what we believe is right. And at the end, he said, look, he said, if you were coming as a personal loan, he said, no way would I give it you. There's no chance. He said, but because of your faith and the faith of your church, then 
we will let you have this loan to help us get the building project going. That's the way things work. And in fact, I think it's all been repaid. Nobody feels here this morning, but I think it's all finally been... Pardon? All repaid. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It's all been done. 1.4 million. We have borrowed, I think, 500,000 from the diocese. It's all been repaid. And of the total money, one million pounds came from this congregation. So thank you and great. We can see how God has provided and God will provide. That's the key message. When we step out in faith, when we take great steps of faith, when we open our eyes and see what God can do through us, then it is amazing what can happen. What a great God we have. And our faith is not blind. It's based on a God of miracles. The God who raised his son Jesus from the dead. Jesus who's alive today, who intercedes for us. We've got all that access. What a great God we have. David knew that. He knew from a young age that God was to be trusted and obeyed. How we need to know that. How we need to teach that to our children and show them in our lives. That's what we believe in. And the final key, here we go, number six, verses 40 to 50. The actual key point of the story, all right, the death of Goliath. All this leads up to that, all the preliminary and so on. And uh, this is it. Then he took David, all right, from his, his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. That's all he got. He got one little sling in his pocket. That's all they need to carry. There's loads of ammo around. These stones, he could go and select them out. He does, goes and finds his five stones. And uh, then he goes out and um, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He walks towards him. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming close to David. He looked David over and saw only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed God by David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you have come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the birds, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me. There we are. That's what we had before. And now this next verse. Key one, next one. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Underline, red pen, all the rest of it. There you go. Important. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. God's name has tremendous power. The Lord Almighty. The clue is in that word, Almighty. God is Almighty. 
That's what we believe. God can do marvellous things. The Lord Almighty, mighty God. Nothing and no one can defeat God. He is the creator, the sustainer of the whole universe. I'm not sure about this idea. Why, why did David actually need five stones? I go off these thoughts, get into my mind. I sometimes think, well, is that a lack of faith? Because really, I reckon David had only got one shot because he actually talks about him running towards the Philistine. The Philistines, well, can't run because he's got his armour clumping him down. They're moving towards David at the same time. And he's got one chance. So why did he choose five stones? Anyhow, that's, an, that's another side. But the important thing is, I think he'd probably only got the one shot. He'd probably practice with that sling. And I did try using it, only with a bit of paper. I wouldn't use it with the stones. But I tried it with a bit of paper in the house. And it does work. And I'm told that if you're really good, you practice long enough, you can get really good. The little video I saw on, I thought I'd check it on YouTube or whatever it was. Somebody practicing using a sling and a stone. It is incredibly effective. It's still used in part of the world today. Just that's all you've got to carry with you, just that. You don't have to have all these massive guns and everything else. That might be all you need to fight off the, the animals or whatever it is. A little sling and one stone. Now, whether David just didn't have enough faith or what, or whether God, in his, in his power and his wisdom, actually directed that stone that was going to go bang on and hit, hit Goliath in the only place he was unprotected, all this arm around everything, right in the middle of his head. Then, we don't know, but that is the sort of thing, thoughts I go through, I don't know about you. Um, but, it's a, but this is the key thing. In the hands of an expert, somebody who's practiced and used his faith and built on his faith, in the hands of an expert who comes in the name of the Lord Almighty, this is incredibly powerful when we do that, when we step out in faith. So why are we so lacking in faith on this Advent Sunday when we prepare for the coming of great David's greatest son? We see all the things that David's done like a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ we're looking forward to. Great David's greatest son who doesn't just deal with Goliath but he can conquer the whole, what do we talk about, the world, the flesh and the devil. That's it. That's what we should be trusting in. Now well, why on earth put your trust in anything else? Now my auntie Margaret Sorry, Auntie Margaret this time. Forget Auntie Emmy for the moment. Auntie Margaret was a missionary in China. People used to say to my grandparents, you must be really worried about your daughter in China. It wasn't a very easy country at that time, not an easy place to live. And you know what they'd reply, my grandparents would reply? They said, she, she's far safer doing God's will in China than she would be walking up the high street in Barnet. Or in Aldridge, if you didn't live in Aldridge. But there you get the picture. If you're in God's will, you can step out in faith and the Lord can take you. All right? And the Lord will protect you and look after you. He is the Lord Almighty. David was just an ordinary shepherd boy, but God transformed him and empowered him to do extraordinary things because his heart was right and he trusted totally in the Lord. So can we. Where's the next David coming from? Who's going to have that faith to step out? So three questions. David's heart was right with God. His mind. Number two. David was given the power of the Holy Spirit. Have I received that power? And question three. David remembered times when the Lord helped him. Can I?
think back through your own journey. David stepped out in faith. What about us? What about me? The Bible Society, you know, are encouraging Christians to take up an Advent challenge, to put into practice what we believe. The challenge is to live out our faith in the world by doing one act of kindness every day during Advent. You can find out more if you go to adventchallenge.org.uk or go on the Bible Society website and you'll find the link. I'm also giving you a challenge this morning. My challenge is this. Take a step of faith this week. That's the challenge. I don't know what giants you're facing in your life. Perhaps you're battling with family breakdowns or upsets. Perhaps you're battling with illness. Whatever it is, we can trust in God to take a step of faith. Remember the baptism vows. Fight valiantly in the name of Christ against the world, the flesh and the devil. If you want to take up the challenge, I haven't got a website. You can't look that up. I have got some smooth stones though. And when you go up for communion, there will be a basket. I put three little tables one, two, and one at the back. And on that, there'll be the um, AEV version of the um, uh, David and Goliath story. And there'll also be a little basket with some stones in. If you really feel that you want to take that step of faith, take one or both of those things and use them as reminders. Look up the story of David again. Look at it again, even if it's in the short version. Read it through and really to take a step of faith this week. And then next Sunday... When you come back, there'll be opportunity in the service for people to be able to share. All right? You come with your story of anybody who's taken a step of faith in a week. I don't know whether that'll take up the whole service, but that'll be great if there's some people who really can do that. So don't be a coward. Be be brave and trust in God Almighty. Amen. And we're going to sing now.